Well, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit and the, the person of the Holy Spirit, and we talked about the Trinity, and we talked about what the job of the Holy Spirit was. And last week, um, if you remember, I showed you this. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to do the pictures a bit bigger this week so everyone up the back can see. We And we talked about me and what the Holy Spirit and, and all this had to do with me. So first of all, we had the Father who is above me. So he is the creator, he is the one in authority over. But because Jesus came to our earth, journeyed with us, went to the cross, paid our penalty, Jesus walks beside me. Okay, so Jesus walks beside me. But on the day of Pentecost, something dramatic changed that the Spirit, because if you look at this work of the Spirit, up until that point in time, the Spirit actually worked in specific situations or on specific individuals. So the Spirit of God was still working, but you look through the Old Testament and God have raised up a judge and the Spirit of God came upon him. And, or it was for a select time. So even, um, we look at Samson specifically, like Samson's sin walked away from God and then later on he called out to God and the Spirit of God came upon him for a specific time. But at Pentecost, something dramatic happened and all of a sudden all those who believed in Jesus as their Savior, the Spirit, um, lived in him or in them. And so all of a sudden, we, we basically had this idea that, um, that God is in us. And, and not to make us superheroes or anything like that, not as some kind of um, extra sort of special helping of the force to make us to be able to do things. He is there for us to surrender to so that he can use his power in us to change us. And so over the next few weeks, I want to unpack, I suppose, a couple of things we started on last week. And first of all, what I've just said, to realize that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And secondly, why is it important for you to surrender to the Holy Spirit? Why is it important for you to do that? Because remember, um, we talked about last week that it's not about a doctrine of power or a doctrine of victory. Um, like, and, and I've heard it sort of say this way before when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Some people will treat it like this. We'll sort of name it and claim it. I want this and so I'm just going to speak it out and God will give me what I want. Blab it and grab it. Fight it and smite it. And so we, we talk about the Holy Spirit in a way that we can almost control. Now again, we talked about that last week and if you want to put it in those terms, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit becomes a form of magic because we say the magic words, standing on one leg, leaning to the right a little bit and all of a sudden God will respond to us. And, and the thing is, we laugh, but in, in some ways we go, well, God, I showed up, I've said this, I've given the right amount of money, I want you to come and work in my life. That's magic. That is magic. And if, if your God is that small that you control, control him that way, I don't think he's going to be big enough to help you with the problems that you will face in life. But today, as we talk about this idea that it's a doctrine of surrender, I want to, um, now, can anyone have a tissue I can use? Um, oh, wait a second, we got one little run down the back. Let me just wipe this one out. We'll draw some other stuff up there now. So in your, um, in your homework or your, your work that you're doing in church today, 
there's actually two columns. And so I want to, I want to sort of, I suppose, give you the basis of what these two columns uh, sort of will represent. So, um, so first of all, it deals with our worst and our best. So one says when we're at our worst, and one talks about when we're at our best. Okay. So, um, and it, now before I fill these in out or help you fill these out today, I want to show you the basic answer. Um, to what is true when I am, I am at my worst, um, acting at my worst, uh, making choices at my worst, and doing my worst. And what is true when I'm acting at my best, um, and, and acting uh, at my best, making choices at my best, and doing my best. There's a, there's a fundamental shift here, and there's a fundamental change, and it all has to do, in the end, with the moment I surrender to the Spirit. And, and it all has to do with that. Now, I always, for my entire life, from the day I was born, we all have desires. Um, and, and you are the same. From the time that you were born, everyone has desires. Um, and some, sometimes those desires are good. Sometimes those desires are, have been bad. Um, those desires have sometimes been constructive, sometimes destructive. Um, sometimes those desires have added value to your life, and sometimes they have detracted. Um, but you have always had desires. The question is, how do you decide which desires you will chase and which desires you will fight? Now, these two things are true. The question is, how are you going to decide which is which? The difference between making good choices and bad choices and is, is the difference between making noise and making a difference in the world. That's, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Everyone born into this world makes noise. And again, if you've got kids, you go, yep, my kids make noise. The thing is, as adults, sometimes that's all we do as well. We make noise. Um, the question is, will we make a difference? Well, we all make noise, we don't always, that we don't all make a difference. So what is the difference here? Well, I'm going to just just get me my artistic sort of... Oh, that's terrible. I'm, I'm drawing the art too small. Let's uh, just do it nice and big fits. Yeah, I've got to make sure that joins up. There we go. Okay. Um, so that's two hearts. Now, in the middle of your heart, we need to imagine that there is a throne. Now, that's as much as I'm going to do for the throne. It's not a H. It is a throne, so usually if you want to decorate it in your head, go ahead, but I'm not doing that. Um, and, um, and there's a throne there. Now the problem is, when we are making decisions at our worst, when I'm making damaging, destructive moves in my life, what is true is that I have me on the throne. It's me on the throne. Um, and, and because when I'm making decisions based solely on what I want or I need, these decisions will be damaging to life long term. They may not be damaging instantaneously, but when you're living for self, you, you end up sort of getting into a position where you, it will damage what you do. It, you cannot build lasting relationships if you are simply chasing what is important for me 
because you are not someone to have a relationship with. And you probably would know people that like they are the epitome of this. Their life revolves around them. You'll be catching up as friends and all of a sudden they can only talk about themselves and their problems and their good times. It's all about them. Well, the problem is for them is that they're on the throne of their heart. And, and the thing is, to a lesser extent, at times, we, we are in that position as well. Um, I can't really make a difference in the world if, if I have me at the centre of my existence because I am going, all I'm going to do is to make noise. Okay? Now, when the Holy Spirit comes in, when that change takes place, what can happen is this. Instead of being on the throne, we position ourselves at the foot of the throne. We actually say, God, I'm submitting to you. I'm surrendering to you. I'm going to let you make the, make the call of my life or take, take, make the decisions for me and guide me in what I do. So this is when the Holy Spirit comes in and we surrender to him. It puts us in a different position. Now, instead of being on the throne, we, we position ourselves there but I'm still here. We're not getting rid of ourselves. Um, now, here's something profound for you. You need to take this truth on. Um, no matter where you go, there you are. Okay, everyone got that truth? Like, you can't run away from yourself. Because some of you go, but I'm the problem. I need to get rid of me. Well, no, God doesn't want to do that, and you can't do it. You can't possibly do that. And sometimes we get to the point where we go, oh, well, maybe... Maybe it's my personality. I'm going to change my personality. Um, well, guess what? It's not going to happen. God doesn't want you to change the core of your personality. He gave it to you for a reason. What he wants to do is to redeem your personality to make a difference in the world around you. Now, I'm sure some of you might look around people here and in your life and wish I could go to be more like them. I, I, I wish I could be like that person over there or that person who I looked up to all my life. I wish I could be more like them. I wish I could be like Pastor Keith. He's just the best. Okay? I'm sure some of you may not be thinking that. But, um, but the thing is, that's not possible. It's not something that God wants. You need to be you and you need to be surrendered to and redeemed by the Holy Spirit. This is what you need to be. See, this me just makes noise. This me makes a difference. Now, let me show you why this is true. Now, um, Harry sort of read the first eight verses of, of um, 2 Corinthians 3. We're actually going to be going through a bit more than that. So open up your Bibles there and, and we're going to sort of jump into 2 Corinthians um, um, chapter 3 this morning. Now, Apostle Paul is writing his second letter to the church in Corinth. And as he does this, he is hitting on some familiar themes. Chapter 3 is going to show us very much how the board works out and, and how I'm going to fill out um, your, your chart uh, in your notes uh, in a moment. Now, chapter 3 is going, to show you, is going to show us how this plays out. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. In chapter 3, we're going to hit some language and rationales that aren't going to make any sense. And it's not because it's too hard to understand. The part of the problem is that um, this was written in the first century and everything Paul wrote um, would have got to the point where everyone would have been listening, would have been obvious, oh, this is, I know what you're saying, Paul. That would, they would have gotten it. But there has been over 2,000 years and half a planet away and these, were, that these words are being written. 
So they don't make the same sense to us. So I'm going to unpack some of the verses so we can take place in the mindset that we can sort of have a look at through the mindset of the first century. So 2 Corinthians 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Now Paul pauses here. Now, probably it was common practice back then that if you were going somewhere to to be a person of authority or influence, you would actually get a letter to come with you saying, hey, this person is a really good guy, um, look after him, let him speak, this would be really great. And <coughs> it probably became um, something common in the churches as well, except Paul, he made the point that through both letters that he has not taken anything from them, he does not need their commending, he does not need their validation. I'm not here because you think I'm a good guy. I'm not here because someone else says I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something for you. He says to them at one point in 1 Corinthians, I didn't come to you with wise words and slick speech. I came with nothing but Jesus and him crucified. He's very clear he's not looking for their condemnation, commendation. But in verse 2 it picks up, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are the letter from Christ and the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but the tablets of human heart. Now, in reality, no church should ever need a billboard for advertising and and saying, hey, come along to our services and all that kind of stuff, because we should be that billboard. If the people of God act like the God they say they believe in, they become literally the letters of commendation to the circle of the world in which they find themselves. And everyone will say, I want to be a part of that. Why? Because I know that person and look at what has happened in their life and in their heart. We become the advertisement of what God is doing. Some of us become the advertisement of what God is not doing though. That, that's the hiccup there for us. If what we show in our lives become, becomes a roadblock that prevents people from being thirsty for what we have, there's a problem there. And I would say the problem is the fact is that we're not here. We're here. That's probably where the problem lies. But Paul is saying, we don't need a letter of um, recommendation. You are our letter of recommendation. God is saying that in being the living letter, we need to become more so that we are not just a person that makes noise, but a person who makes a difference. So we pick it up in verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Now, so if you look in verse 3, we see that the Spirit is writing on our hearts. We look at verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ who is before God. What have we got there? Trinity. We've got the Trinity sort of evidence in those two verses. So again, it's sort of um, playing that out. Um, now we pick it up in verse 5. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Two things I want to point out to you. Now, let let me talk about me right now. From that verse, 
and probably from my experience, I am in myself completely, utterly, incapable to do what God has placed in front of me to do. Now, as I say that, two thoughts are going around. Some of you are saying, if he's not that good, why are we paying him anything? Okay, that's one thought. Um, don't dwell on that one too much, okay? But, um, but some of you are saying, if Pastor Keith can't do it, how can I ever possibly do anything and make a difference? Well, just stay with me here. There is a competence that comes from the infilling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, my confidence is not in my personal competence, but my confidence is in the Holy Spirit, who in turn, when I surrender, puts competence in that I have confidence in. So not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the thing is, I don't have to trust in my own ability. God will give me the ability, the the equipping, and I trust in what He is doing in my life, and that is what I have confidence in. I don't have confidence that I'm smarter than anyone else, or I work harder than anyone else. My confidence is in what God has done in my life. Now, it doesn't remove the need for me to work alongside God. It doesn't remove the need for me to to seek to understand more and to know more. But what I trust in is what God has equipped me to do, what God has given me the ability to do. So my trust in, again, is in the Spirit who dwells in me. And so when you ask, well, if Pastor Keith can't do it, well, the thing is, you don't have to trust in your own ability. You trust in the ability of God. You trust in the infilling of God, the spirit that is within you. Now, when we look at that verse, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills and the spirit gives life. This is a common theme for the apostle. It's almost in all of his epistles, he writes something like this. Um, it's that the law is good, but it was given to us by God to keep us in check. Um, but the law is insufficient that it cannot actually change who we are. That's the problem with the law. The law is to keep us in check, but it's not, it's not meant to change us, or it's unable to change us. Now, go with me for a second. Imagine you had a wild animal, and you put it in a cage. Um, you will refine and restrict where the animal can go. You will define its territory, but you will not change its heart. If you could change the heart of a vicious animal, you could let it out of the cage. This was really evident, um, oh, it would have been a couple of years ago now, we went to um, Australia Zoo. And the thing is, they have these crocodiles, these massive reptiles that are constrained. You have people that work with them every day. Yet when they go into their enclosures, there's always two people in there. Because if one of them turns their back on the water and they lose track of where the crocodile is, they look for bubbles, they look for other things. Why? Because the crocodile will act as its heart is. And when it looks at that person standing up there in front of me that's not watching me, oh, they don't go, oh, that's the person who cares for me every day. I love them so much. They look at them and going, well, take away. Like, that's what they're looking at. And so the heart is not changed. And so we need to know this is exactly what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us. The law is not enough to constrain you, so the Holy Spirit needs to change you so you don't need constraining anymore. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory so it was. Now, what are they talking about here? Well, if you know the story of, of, of Exodus and when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, um, he goes up to Mount Sinai, he meets face to face with God and God writes out the law for him. And when he comes down, he is shining God's glory. Now, this is what the people did. Um, because this is what we need to remember. When we are, when you are in the presence of God, your very countenance will change. When Moses comes down, his face shines with the glory of God, so much so that the people are not going, wow, the people are terrified. And they insisted they cut, they cover his face. And the law that was given was sufficient, sufficient for the moment, but it was insufficient. It wasn't sufficient forever because it, it could hem men in, but it could not change people's hearts. Um, and, and, wait a second, let me just. So what we need to realise that as we continue doing this is that um, what happens um, is is that our society can't handle the vision of the presence of the Holy Spirit properly lived out either through the life of individuals, through the life of our church. It's like our culture today. They don't want to see the evidence of God in your life. They say, hide it behind the walls of your church. Don't make me put up with it. But Paul says we are not like Moses. We are bold. We are going to take the presence of the Holy Spirit flowing through us and we are going to carry it into every marketplace, every street, every neighbourhood and every meeting and we are going to show the glory of God. That is not about law. It is about the Holy Spirit that changes lives. Um, but Paul keeps going. Um, but in their minds, um, in their minds, but their minds were made dull. For this, for this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. I'm going to make a statement right now and then I'm going to sort of just defend it. You ready? Holiness minus the presence of the Holy Spirit is legalism. Okay, let me say it a different way. Holiness minus the presence of the Holy Spirit is Phariseeism. Or holiness minus the presence of the Holy Spirit is religion. You see, we are not about religion. Now, some of you might go back, oh, we, this is a religion, isn't it? Isn't what we're doing? It's, we're being religious. People will say, I'm not going to come to church because I'm not a religious person. And I want to say to them, well, neither am I. Because this is about, um, this is not about religion. It's about a relationship with the Holy Spirit who lives in you. When God takes residence inside of you, he wants to change you. Well, let's keep reading um, in verse 15. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whoever turns, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
So right back at the start of this, verses 1 to 3, it says, are we commending ourselves? No, we don't need any letters of commendation. You are our letters of commendation, written on our hearts by the Spirit of God. And when when you change the law that's written on the heart, we we see this. When I'm acting at um, my worst, I'm living minus the Holy Spirit. And this is where you start to get right to write on your, your sheets because the first thing you need to realise is that I am controlled by a love of power. When we are living minus the Holy Spirit, when I'm acting at my worst, I am controlled by a love of power. Can I tell you um, that that is what the law really is? Law gives you power. When you control the law, you control power. When people come to you who are religious or legalistic, not only will they tell you what law to follow, but how you should follow it then. And then they will come up with new laws to help you follow the laws that they were telling you to follow. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. Until you have to the point where you have law upon law and upon law. All of a sudden we are controlled by a love for power. This could be taken to your, your individual life. You may have anything sitting on your throne right here. It could be money. Money gives you power. And that will be on your throne. It will define how you make choices. It will control you by um, a, a relationship. Um, you, you, you can have, or put a relationship in here. And all of a sudden, you are controlled by that relationship. Then you put another person on the throne and codependency sets in. And you are controlled by the power in your life because you have them. You think you are in control, but you are controlled by a love of power. But when the Spirit comes in and lives inside of us, you are not controlled by the love of power, you are compelled by the power of love. That is a brand new game. When you are compelled by the power of love, all of a sudden your religion becomes your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And instead of caging people in with you, you help them find their way out. When you are compelled by uh, by power, uh, power of love, your money becomes a tool that will help other people. When you are compelled by the power of love, you don't own somebody. You um, you have the glorious privilege of being beside someone. You see the difference in that you are either controlled by the love of power or compelled by the power of love. It totally changes the way that you will make decisions. Now in verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, the Spirit brings freedom, and I need you to know that because the Spirit is in me, there is freedom. But if the Spirit is not in me, I am paralysed by fear. If the Spirit is not in me, I'm paralysed by fear. And do you know why? Let's take the law. If I'm talking about being a religious um, legalist, then I'm paralysed by the fear that I will break the very law that I'm trying to control. Then I'll be held accountable by my own law. I'm constantly in fear of doing something wrong and I'm walking on eggshells afraid I will mess up. If it's in a relationship then that is on my throne of my life, I'm paralysed by the fear that relationship will leave me. I can't even enjoy the relationship because I'm, I'm afraid of it ending. It could be a job that is on the throne of your life and you could be afraid of losing your job or how people will think of you at your job or worrying about being successful at your job and it becomes a paralysing fear that all of a sudden drives your life. When the Holy Spirit is missing in my life, I am paralysed by fear. But then this truth is also evident 
when the Holy Spirit is in my life, I am propelled in freedom. Paralyzed, stuck, trapped in fear. And when the Holy Spirit is in our life, I am moving from freedom. When the Holy Spirit is in you, no one needs to track you and make sure you are following all the rules because the Spirit will guide you in the right path. The Spirit may lead us away from things that we hold on to tightly, things that we have in, we have placed on our, our throne because He knows that it's stopping our freedom. Who here believes that God is good? So we believe God is good. Who here trusts that he wants to do what is best for us? So if the Spirit is living in us and is leading you away from something that you hold really dear, something that you might have on your throne and it becomes a struggle, we need to hold those two, answer those two questions. We believe that God is good and he wants to do what's best for us. So if he is pulling us away from something, he's pulling us away from what paralyzes us fear to propel us into freedom. When the Holy Spirit is in us, he will lead us into freedom and that might mean letting go or giving up some things in our life, but that is okay because God is good. The things that he brings um, or the direction that he takes us will bring us into the freedom that he promises us. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't know if I like this surrender idea. The only way to freedom is, is to be finally be surrendered to God who wants to make you better. In verse 18 it says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Can I tell you what is wrong with religion? Religion is not transformed. Religion is just informed. There are too many people who are simply informed. And if all you have is information, all you have is trivia. There are people in this world, scholars who have studied the Bible from cover to cover, but do not know Jesus Christ, who do not have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And all they have is information in their life. They would know more than me. They are looking for the holes in the Bible. They are looking for what's wrong with the Bible. But they do not have the presence of Jesus or the Spirit. If you are fully informed of religion and even the Bible but not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, your religion is trivial and it will be viewed by the world as such because it will not make a real difference, it will only make noise. That trivial faith is not what we are after. We must be more than informed, we must be transformed. By the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we get to the point where God the Father created you for a purpose. Jesus died so that his blood might wash you clean and the Holy Spirit moved in you so that you might be transformed, propelled in freedom and compelled by the power of love. Did you, did you catch that? God the Father created you for a purpose. Jesus died so that you might be washed clean and the Holy Spirit moves you so that you might be transformed, propelled into freedom and compelled by love. I want to compare two stories as I wrap up today. Or two statements, as they were. The first is a letter from Abraham Lincoln to his son's teacher. So for those teachers out there, imagine giving a letter from Abraham Lincoln. 
um, going. But anyway, it's a, it's a good letter. Um, this is a, cut out a bit of the intro, but he said, as he addresses his teacher, he says, he will have to learn. I know that all men are not just, all men are not true. But teach him also that for every scoundrel, there is a hero. That for every selfish politician, there is a dedicated leader. Teach him that for every enemy, there is a friend. Teach him, if you can, that, that a dollar earned is of far more value than five found. Teach him to learn um, to lose and also to enjoy winning. Steer him away from envy, if you can. Teach him the secret of quiet laughter. Teach him, if you can, the wonder of a book, but also give him the quiet time to ponder the eternal mystery of birds in the sky, bees in the sun and the flowers on the green hillside. In school, teach him it is far more honourable to fail than to cheat. Teach him to have faith in his own ideas, even if everyone tells him they are wrong. Teach him to be gentle with gentle people and tough with the tough. Try to give my son the strength not to follow the crowd when everyone is getting on the bandwagon. Teach him to listen to all men, but teach him also to filter all he hears on a screen of truth and take only the good that comes through. Teach him, if you can, how to laugh when he is sad. Teach him that there is no shame in tears. Teach him to scoff at cynics and to beware too, of too much sweetness. Tell him to sell his brawn and his brain to the highest bidders, but to never put a price tag on his heart and soul. Teach him to close his ears to a howling mob and to stand and fight if he thinks he is right. Treat him um, gently, but do not coddle him, because only the test of fire makes fine steel. Let him have the courage to be impatient. Let him have the patience to be brave. Teach him always to have sublime faith in his creator and faith in himself because then he will always have sublime faith in mankind. Now, that's, that's a bit of a challenge as a teacher to get that. And, but like again, it's profound words. What, what Abraham Lincoln's goal for his son was, was quite wide. And he's put it down in pen form. Now let's compare, compare that to a modern day, I suppose, statement. The founder of Twitter gave an explanation for their name. So who here is aware of Twitter? Who here is on Twitter? So we've got. Uh, um, I thought you were putting up your hand to say you're on Twitter, Lane. Like, like, wow, hip grandma there. Like, um, but Twitter is something that's out there. It's a, a social um, um, uh, networking sort of platform. Uh, but the, the founder of Twitter gave an explanation for their name. We came across the word Twitter, and it was perfect. The definition was a short burst of inconsequential information and chirps from birds. And that was exactly the product we had. So Twitter is an online social networking service that enables us um, users to send short, inconsequential messages. Now, I will tell you this. We live in a Twitter world when the Holy Spirit wants to live in a way where we make a difference. Now, some of you might say, I understood the Twitter thing really quickly. It was quick to take on. But right now, if I ask you to remember everything that was in that letter from Abraham Lincoln, you'd be, oh, that letter was a bit long, and I know it was about his son, I know it was to his teacher, and there was some other stuff in there, and followed by some other stuff. And the thing is, 
What we need to realize is that things in this life that matter take time. Lives that make a difference take sacrifice. Decisions that are more than just noise require surrender. Now, I don't want to be a Twitter church or a Twitter Christian because when we are a Twitter church or a Twitter Christian, you are nothing more than a twit. (laughs) Now, if we are a church that's just making noise, if we are Christians who are just making noise, we are sharing inconsequential short bits of information. We are, spiritually speaking, twits. But if this is what we need to realise, because if you are just making noise, it is only about you. But if we let God, who has created us for a purpose and redeemed us through his Son and fill us with his power of his Spirit, we could become a people who do more than just make noise. We could be a people that make a difference. That is what happens when we let the Holy Spirit in us. All of a sudden, we move from doing our worst to doing our best because we are not on the throne, but the Holy Spirit is. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you today for I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that you give so freely. I pray that we would learn what it is to surrender to him fully that we would understand what it is to be a part of, of or let you to be a part of us, to, to not take the position on the, on the throne of our heart, but to surrender that position to you so that we'd be people that would be um, compelled by love, propelled into freedom and transformed that we would become a church, that we would become Christians that are not just making noise in the world, but we are making a difference because of who is in charge of our lives. I pray that we would learn to surrender to you fully, to give all of ourselves to you so that you can work in us fully. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.